going to read a couple places in the Bible. You do not have to turn there. Please do not spend a bunch of time taking notes. I prefer you not take notes. Now, if you want to take notes, you can. But if you take notes and miss what I'm saying, it may be because I'm probably going to be ahead of you. And if you want to take, if you want to see it again, you're more than easily can see it again, hear it again. And you can do iTunes podcast. You can see it again on a website. If you want to review it, you can do it then for sure. We didn't used to have that capability, so people took notes more importantly. But now we have that capability. I'd prefer you just listen, try to take in what part of this God has for you. I preached this sermon in 2010. 2010. How many were here in 2010 at Gospel Baptist? You can go home. No. If I ask you to, if I, you don't have a, even if you heard this, you don't have a, you probably don't remember a whole lot of it. But I can tell you this, good things need to be repeated. My mother used to tell me the same stuff over and over and over again, just beat it into my head, you know. Her goal for me in life was that I wouldn't spend my life in jail. Wasn't college degree, wasn't even getting out of high school. It was just, I don't want you to spend your life in jail. She had high goals for me. And by the grace of God, so far, her prayer has been answered. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, and he's speaking specifically contextually about the Jews. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 and 17, speaking of Esau. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. It has been said that the pain of personal discipline is weighed in ounces, and the pain of regret is weighed in pounds. There may be no more important message that I've preached in the last year than what I'm going to speak about this morning. I had opportunity to preach this message at Ambassador Bible Baptist College years ago. God moved among them young people, helped them. And I believe there's to be somebody here this morning that this is for. It was for me when I went over it. And I hope it's for you as you hear it. All of us have glitches. And we said, all of us have glitches. Uh, it's a syndrome. Every person has, reg- has felt the regret of this syndrome I'm going to speak about if you've lived up to 12 years old. Uh, The title, I'm going to give you the title of the message, is Know What You Have Before You Lose It. It It's not long into life before we feel the sting of 
this syndrome of not knowing what you've had and then you lost it. It starts out relatively minor early in life. We have something we like. And because of some misbehavior, our parents take it from us. How many ever suffered that thing? Yeah. We lose it. The sting of regret penetrates our being. It could be you lost your bicycle privileges. Uh, I know as a teenager I did something wrong, and my mom and dad took my car away from me. And not only did they take the car away, they sold it. That really hurt me. And for weeks I was regretful of coming home drunk. I drove home drunk. Drove drunk. Too drunk to walk. And I drove home. And they went ballistic. Can you imagine? You could have killed somebody. They didn't care about whether I died. I could have killed somebody. Because because you didn't kill somebody, we're going to kill you now. They took my car and sold it. And this worse than all of that was they made me ride the bus again. I was too big, too mature, too to ride the bus. I was 16 years old. Rode the bus again. Man, I had some grief about that. I had some regret about that. The sting of regret penetrated me for weeks and weeks. It's so deep on me, as it does me and has maybe on you. I kept saying, why did I do that? Why did I do that? I wouldn't have to, had to lose my car had I not redone, done that thing. And I kept repeating that phrase over and over again. If I just obeyed, if I just done what I was supposed to do, I would not have lost it. It could be something simple as a car you lose or something simple as a bicycle you lost or something simple as a privilege maybe taken away from you. But as you grow older and life progresses, things get more serious, more permanent. In many cases, things are lost that are irreplaceable, that will never come back again in life. The weeping, when that happens, is deeper, more dramatic. And the anguish is exhausting, oftentimes filled with horror and grief, but to no avail. Because whatever is gone and has been lost because of something you did is never coming back. Two reactions happen to people who have that happen. They'll usually say... uh, They can repent of what they did like I did as a teenager and just accept the consequences. Or they can get bitter. They can get an attitude of anger, an underlying bitterness towards, in my case, mom and dad for selling my car. And I could have got alienated and went out and did crazy stuff and ended up in jail like she didn't want me to. I decided to repent of what I did and accept the consequences and not be bitter at them, realizing they had just done something good for me. Through the years as a pastor, I've had the painful opportunity to see people who have did not know what they had before they lost it. I do not want that to be you. In the sound of my voice, whether it be over the Internet, a podcast, or here, 
I do not want that to be you. And what God is doing through the message this morning is trying to save you from the Esau syndrome. Trying to save you from what happened to the Jews. Trying to save you what happened to Judas Iscariot who kissed the door of heaven and fell back into hell. That does not have to be you. Three areas that I've seen regret in and people lose something they could not get back. The first one is, is health, the area of health. Years ago, somebody made an appointment with me, a young lady made an appointment with me. She was a bald, uh, frail, I say bald, she was bald, frail, 40-year-old, local hairstylist. She had a bandana on trying to cover her baldness. And she made it into my office one morning. I had known this girl at the local restaurant called Friends and Company. This was in the 90s. Obviously, when she came to see me, she was nervous, apprehensive, but she felt compelled. She was driven to come talk to me that morning. Her conversation went something like this. Pastor, I want to tell you a story so that you will tell others my story. Would you please tell others my story, Pastor? Would you do it, Preacher? You promised, would you do it? I said, I would, and I'm doing it. I have terminal lung cancer, Preacher. I've taken all the chemotherapy they can throw at me, and they basically inform me I'm going to die soon. I've smoked since I was a teenager and knew it was bad for me to smoke. I've been told by many, many people it was wrong to smoke, bad for you to smoke, but I did it anyway because I like to do it. I attempted to quit a few times, preacher, but just didn't do it. Please tell everybody you see to quit smoking before it's too late. The pathos, pathos in her shaky little voice Moved me to tears, to be honest with you. I cried. I sat in front of her and wept as she wept. She said, Preacher, and I can't reproduce the, the tone. It's not possible for me to reproduce the urgency and the tone of what she said. But she says, I want to live. I want to live. I've got plans. I, I have things that are undone in my life. She was a victim of not knowing what she had until she lost it. Does that have to be you? Does that have to happen to you? Another dear lady in our church wasn't too far away from this incident, by the way. One prayer meeting night, we used to have people stand up and have sometimes prayer requests. You know, we still do that at prayer meeting a little bit. We have a short time, we have a special request. And this, this lady, her name was... Bohannon, Mrs. Bohannon, and she stood up at prayer meeting one night. She was a, uh, I'm going to just describe it as a gray, whitish pallor. Like she'd never been in the sun, but, but she had been. She had the look of death. A gray, white pallor. She publicly confessed to the whole church that night that she had been a smoker her entire life, as a Christian, 
She said, I knew better. I knew better. I was convicted about it many times, preacher and people. But she was unwilling to quit. And because of that being unwilling to quit, and this is what she was telling us, she was deprived of all kinds of opportunities in the local church to serve. Because if people smoke, which is an addiction, we don't want them teaching kids as an example. You with me on that? Common sense. And so she said, I didn't get to teach Sunday school. I wanted to. I've been held back from all kinds of opportunities, not by others, but because I knew, I knew better. And she said, now I'm dying. And this is the thing that moved me the most towards the end of what she said. She asked us to tell everybody that we knew in the future her testimony and to warn them, don't smoke. What she really was saying was know what you have, your health, in this case, before you lose it. Know what you have before you lose it. The second area I want to talk about is the area of morality. Know what you have before you lose it. 1 Corinthians 3.17 says, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye, that's plural, are. You say, Brother Bill, I'm the temple of God. Yeah. No, you're not. The temple of, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, what is salvation other than the Holy Spirit coming in and indwelling you? They call it, Jesus called it being born again. We call it the new birth. It's when God comes in and takes my brother's teaching on the uh, temple. It's the holy of holies in my heart. Now, if you know much about the Holy of Holies, not just anybody got to go into the Holy of Holies. And when you went in, even the ones that got to go in had to be careful that they didn't have some secret sin in their life or they'd die when they went into the Holy of Holies because they were. it was a sanctified place. It was a special place. It was the place of the presence of God. That's you. And God makes a real straight up and down warning to people, don't you defile my body. You say, well, I thought it was my body, preacher. Well, you know better now. It's God's body. It's God's body. And I think you only get one shot at life. What about you? Uh, you know, people say, well, boy, if I had this to do again. Have you ever heard that phrase? If I could do this again. Well, you can't. If I could do this again, you can't. If I can live this life again, you can. People used to live a long time. Before the flood, they lived, lived eight, 900 years. Imagine how bad off people would get at 900 years. They got so evil after 900 years of life that God said, I can't even stand them anymore. I've got to kill them all. And the flood came. I saved eight people of the world's population. That's what happens when you get a lot of time. You don't get it but one shot, and it's not long. Trust me. You young 20-year-olds, you think you're long, and oh, yeah, but you know what? You don't know you're going to live as old as I am. I read a statistic one time. Half the people die before the 70. I don't know if it's true anymore, but at one time it was. And as I think back about the people I went to high school with, a lot of them have gone. 
But death comes at any time, any place. You may be going home this afternoon. People cross the line. Texting. You know, I'm getting to where I hate texting. I quit motorcycle riding. One of the major reasons I quit riding a motorcycle was texting. They will kill you outright. And it'll be a 20-something, and they'll say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But it won't help you. They ought to make, I'm just going on record, they ought to make texting illegal, punishable by 10 years in prison minimum in your vehicle. And if you text on your motorcycle, life in prison. Aren't you glad I'm not in a place of power? Some of you said, I just, I just couldn't live without texting. Know what you have before you lose it in the area of morality. I was going door to door in South Carolina. I lost the name of the place. I used to know. Can't remember the name of the place right now. But in South Carolina, a little villagey area, a little mobile home. I came in from Indiana, trailer trash. And uh, there was a lot of trailer parks in these area. And I went over to see. I wanted to call. I love calling in trailer parks. And I lived in a trailer myself for a while. And so I go into this place with a guy. We were calling that day. We stopped by this little place. It was a ragged out, ragged out trailer. It was a ragged out place. You know, it, just the weeds were growing up and the, and, the, and the grass was worn out to the dirt in a lot of places because of they had a, she had three little ragtag children, little rag muffins, you know. The, the kids with the dirt in their nose from the snot running down their nose and the dust collects to it. Now, you're getting a picture, aren't you? The dust collects to the nose, and you see this dirt, these two lines of clean, two lines of clean, where the rest, and all the rest of the face is dirt because the snot run down. Their mouth keeps giving, and he takes his tongue and goes. If you were having some trouble going to sleep, I would just woke you up. That was her kids, man. They were so dirty, you did not want to hug them. You did not want to hug these kids. They came around, grabbed your leg. They didn't ask you. They grabbed your leg, wiped their nose on your pants. I mean, I'm, I'm just being, a, these are just three little ragtag kids, and they didn't know a stranger. I, we go up to the two young guys. I was in my early 20s, 20, 21 I probably was then. And with this other guy, and we go up to this house, and this probably 20-year-old, maybe, maybe she was 19. I had a neighbor, 17 years old, had three children. So in that area, people got married young and had children, as many as they could have. Or, and so it was just this girl, this girl came to the door. I never really forget the, the sight of it as I visualize it even now. She came to, she was kind of thin, and she looked like she was ragged out like her home. I mean, she looked ragged out. She looked tired. She looked uh, weary. Her clothes were dirty and hung on her, and, her, and, and uh, she had them little three ragtag kids, and it was dirty around the house with weeds growing up, and... And, and we talked to her about Jesus, and she was surprisingly, she stunned both us, young men. She says, listen to me. She grew very serious. She says, listen to me, boys. Boys, men, listen to me. I got something I need to tell you. She says, I want you to tell everybody that you come in contact with after this day my story. Would you please? And then she said what that other girl said, do you promise? 
I says, okay, we'll do it. Tell them my story, preacher. Well, I mean, they call you preacher because you got a Bible. Oh, she said, I was raised in a Christian home with very godly mom and dad. I had a bright future ahead of me, great opportunities to serve Jesus and live for him. But I chose to be immoral and be rebellious and be promiscuous. She said, would you tell all the young girls in your church not to make the same mistake I made? My life is now permanently changed. I cannot regain what I lost. Please, mister, please. Tears in her eye. Please, mister, tell everybody you know. Please. She lost something, but it was too late. She didn't know what she had before she lost it. And you know what? That can be you, and that can be me here this morning. I was asked a few, actually I counted the years up this morning, 27 years ago. I was asked to go to the hospital and visit a son of a family of our church. Uh, he was about 35 years old at the time. She said, our son is in the hospital down at Lee Morrow and he's dying. I said, he's dying? She said, yeah, he's dying. Would you go see him, preacher? I said, sure, I'll go see him. This couple was a godly godly people that you'd live for Jesus, love, love the Lord. I arrived at the uh, room. I went down, finally found the room down the hallway there, and there was a big old sign, big sign, warning, do not enter without gown, mask, gloves, the whole bit. I walked past the sign and walked into the guy's room. When I walked into the room, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. I walked into the room, and my, when my eyes saw him, I kind of stopped and almost wanted to take a step back. It was a strange sight. He had a perfectly normal-looking head. With, with, and, and with Peggy, Peggy uh, Fisher's here this morning, it had, Peggy had had thick, black, curly hair, beautiful hair. And I'd been in the hospital. It looked like he had gone and had somebody do it. You know, I mean, his hair was, people with curly hair, man, it always looks good. And it just was all really in good shape. And his hair was deep, dark, black, and thick, just like Brother Barrow's wishes he had. <laughs> but he won't. I had to break you up a little. This is heavy stuff. And so... I walk into the room to the guy, get beside his bed. He's laying right here before me, and he took his little hand, his left hand, he raised it up so that I would hold his hand. He wanted me to touch his hand. Now, his hand, his body from here down was total bones, skin laid over bones. I could see his entire skeletal anatomy, his hip bones, his ribs, even I may have been able to see the spine. I mean, it was it was it was a it was World War II concentration camp looking. And I took his little bony hand in my hand, and I could feel those bones lay across me, and it was kind of cold. And he had that grayish white pallor about him. And he struggled to speak. This is preacher. Preacher, would you tell people my story? I said. What is it? He said, well, preacher, you know my mom and dad. I was raised in a Christian home. I, I went to church, a fundamental independent Baptist church that loved the old King James Bible and the Word of God and preached Jesus. And 
I was rebellious and I got immoral and it started first to be first out to be heterosexual immorality and eventually it turned into homosexual activity and immorality. And he says, I I picked up a disease called AIDS. And this is when AIDS was real new. And I, he said, I've had AIDS and I'm being I'm being eaten alive by a common parasite that's found in drinking water. The normal people's immune system can can beat and battle, but he said, I don't have any immune system. And please, preacher, would you tell him not to do what I've done? He didn't know what he had till he lost it. Three days later, he stepped over into eternity and died. Don't make this mistake. Don't you do it. The world's going to tempt you. The devil's going to tempt you. The flesh is going to tempt you to go out and sow your wild oats. Do your thing. You're young. you got energy. You're going to get by with it. But if you're a born-again believer from above, which these people were, you got a God that Hebrews chapter 12 says is not going to just let you run wild and run out because you're his child. But you're bought with a price. You're part of born-again believers. You have the holy of holies within you. And he that defileth the holy of holies of the temple, him will God destroy. Listen to me, people. I've seen it. I've seen it over and over again. Know what you have before you lose your opportunities. This is my last illustration. It's been one of my prayers since I've been young. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, don't let me be like Esau. Lord Jesus, let me know, let me realize what I have. Right today, we get to come to an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing church without threat of persecution. Lord, help me to appreciate it. Help me to know it before I lose it. And the law comes in and says it's illegal to do this again anymore. Help me to go door to door and preach the gospel while I have the opportunity to do it before I lose it. And then if I even want to, I won't be able to do it. Help us, oh God, to do the bus ministry and get out to the neighborhoods and highways and hedges of lost young people and, and tell them about Jesus and try to get them into the, into the sound of the gospel all before the law comes and says you can't propagate your religion anymore. Man, I've prayed that over and over and over and over and over and over. I know you do something over and over and over. And as Brother Todd said this morning, you get used to it and it becomes of no value or very little value. But that doesn't make it valueless. It still has the greatest value it ever had. You've sang uh, Amazing Grace just as I... You know, you sang Amazing Grace. I get up, they say, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. How many times do you think I've sung Amazing Grace? Thousands. But I shake myself, shake myself. and say, Brother Bill, this may be the last time you ever get to sing it. Sing it by the grace of God. 
with all your heart. Man, when these hymns of the faith come up, you should say, no, man, we've sung that thing a thousand times. I can't believe these are great hymns of the faith and really an, uh, ill-illuminated and anointed by the Holy Spirit. Sing it like it's a thing. Know what you have before you lose it. There was a guy in a church down the road, and I won't mention. He got cancer of the vocal cords. And I remember he stood up in one of our meetings and said, Preacher, could I say, if, could I say something? And of course, sure, what do you want to say? He said, tomorrow I go into surgery and I have my whole voice box taken out. It'll be the last time I ever speak in this life. He said, oh, I wish I would have said so much more. I wish I would have sung more. You say, I don't want to sing. You better sing or you may get a day. You don't get to sing and you'll beg to sing. Sing while you can sing. Speak while you can speak. Love while you can love. Hug your mom and dad while they're alive. Love on your kids while they're alive. Appreciate your preacher. <laughs> I'll stick that in there while he's alive. There's going to be a day I ain't going to be here. Know what you have before you lose it. Esau, he didn't get it. No. Judas, he said, I've betrayed innocent blood. They said, Here's the way the world will do to you after, they, after you spend your life with them. They'll say, what is that to me? You take care of it. All your carousing buddies, all your drinking buddies, all your drug buddies, all your immoral buddies, when you come to, when you come to reaping time, all you go to them and say, like Judas, I've betrayed innocent blood. I'm in trouble. They'll say, hey, what's that to me? You go take care of that. Don't bother us. There are two groups of people that are going to face this syndrome. Those at the judgment seat of Christ and those at the great white throne judgment. Both groups of people are going to face what I've talked about this morning. They're going to realize that they did not, have, they did not appreciate what they had until it was gone. And when it was gone, they couldn't get it back. Man, I'm married 51 plus years. I value that woman every day. Every day. The Bible says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It don't get higher standard than that. That's as high a standard as you get. Lord, help me to love that woman before she's gone. It's a good way to live. Read your Bible now before you don't or you can't read anymore. Listen to your Bible now 
before you can't listen or hear anymore. Support the local church in every way you possibly can while you have a local church. There's people in the Ukraine this morning would love to go to local church, but it's gone. It's gone. Be holy and obedient to the Bible now while you still can before you come to a time when you want to, but you can't. Oh, may God use these few words this morning. May the blessed Holy Spirit who moved me to do this move on you. But not just today, every day. Wake up every day and shake yourself and say, help me appreciate the good things that God has given me and let me be entrusted with while I can have them. Father, help us this morning. Please, please, please have mercy upon us. May Lord God, I, have, I hope I have done faithfully what I promised these people that I would do. And may their real testimonies save some people this morning from the same mistakes they made. Oh, dear one, if the Holy Spirit's been convicting you about sin, about righteousness, about truth, make a decision to live for him today. Trust Christ today. Put your arms around him today while you can. Husbands, grab your woman this afternoon on the way home and say, I love you, honey, and I want to be a better husband. Honey, I've not appreciated you the way I should have appreciated you, and I've not, I've not exalted you really the way you should have been. And God have mercy on my soul. Help me to be a better husband. Honey, would you help me to be a better husband? Help us, O oh Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.